Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. So um, those of you who have Bibles here and like to follow in your your own Bibles, you're welcome to open with me at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. A couple of weeks ago I I shared on um, truthing in love. And uh, you might say, but if you if you missed that sermon, you might say, but but hang on, any you know that sounds a bit strange, don't you? Mean speaking the truth in love? No, I actually mean truthing in love. <laughs> I think Ephesians four is one of the clearest scriptures that show us that what God expects of us is not just that we speak the truth, technically speak the truth in in love, but but that we that we live the truth in love. It's it's more than just um, technical honesty because you can be technically honest and actually abuse the truth and uh, the Lord doesn't want us to do that so this is really an amazing scripture and I I really think if you if you open up your hearts and and hear what the Lord has to say this morning that that is really gonna uh, that is really gonna touch your heart and, and 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 show you something that 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 can really change your relationship to the truth and 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 really grow your relationship to the truth um, and uh, obviously, you know, if I if I share it correctly, you know, there are some amazing scriptures, but you know, unless the preacher actually preaches it well, you know, it doesn't really Im- impact so much. So I'm going to just pray and ask the Lord to help me, and uh, you pray and ask the Lord to help you, and just open up your heart and to receive the truth. Yes, Lord, I just come before you, Lord God, and uh, as your servant and your vessel, and I ask you, Lord, to help me and use me, Lord, to um, minister your truth, Lord. And, and we pray, Lord, as, as your saints, Lord, as, as, you, as your people, Lord, as people who have gathered uh, before you and before your truth, Lord, that you will allow us to experience the truth more than just hear the truth, but really experience the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let me read the scripture and then I'll take it from there. It says in Ephesians 4, I'm reading from verse 14 in the... NIV, uh, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather, so in other words, he's making a contrast there, rather, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, 
created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Uh, very powerful and, and beautiful scripture. Uh, quite dense, like, you know, is, is sort of characteristic of Paul. And, and the truth features very prominently in it. Not only directly about speaking the truth in love more than once, but also uh, in contrast. It says, um, in contrast to, to deception and craftiness, in contrast to falsehood, laying down all falsehood, um, we must put on the truth and live in the truth. And um, I just want to share a little bit around the truth. Notice it says there um, in, in, in verse 21, it says, it talks about the, hang on, it talks about the truth. Sorry. The truth as it is in Jesus. There we go. The truth as it is in Jesus. Now, many people, when they hear that, They'll say, okay, it's all fine to talk about truth. Because there are different kinds of truth, you know. It's true that at sea level, you know, water boils at almost 100 deg degrees. Uh, but it's also true that on top of Mount Kilimanjaro, it, it boils at a lower um, temperature. You know, so there are different truths, you know, they'd say. But this whole thing of the truth, you know, that's, that's kind of problem, problematic, many, many people would say. Um, and I just want to read you a quote that sort of epitomizes uh, the problem that many people have with the truth. And it's, it's this. It's a, it's a quote from uh, former president, uh, U.S. President Bill Clinton, uh, and he, he said it at Georgetown University just after the 9-11 terrorist attacks that destroyed the, the Twin Towers. Uh, it was actually on the 17th of November 2001, if I'm not mistaken. And, it, and he says, they, referring to the terrorists, they believe that because they have the truth, you either have to share that truth or, you're, or you become a legitimate target. They think they have the truth, but we don't believe you can have the truth. We think every individual counts and that life is there for a pilgrimage. And why I share that quote is because it so epitomizes and so well represents the view that many people have with the truth. Now, what I want to show you is that there's, there's something in, in that quote that I agree with, and there's something in that quote I disagree with. But both the things that I agree with and the thing that I disagree with actually shows that we have a problem with the truth. Okay. So let's start with um, let's start with a thing that I that I agree with. What what Clinton is trying to get at here is something that is quite obvious to all of us, and that is that the truth can be abused. Isn't that true? The truth can be abused. It can be misused, and especially misused to exercise oppressive power over people or even justify harming people and world history is full of that and and, and what he's saying is that the terrorists who attacked 
um, uh, you know, the World Trade Center on 9-11 and flew the airplanes uh, into the World Trade Center buildings and, and, you know, killed thousands of people. He's saying they believe they have the truth and that because other people don't agree with what they believe about the truth, everyone else becomes a legitimate target. And they can exercise coercive and even oppressive and violent, deadly power against them. And we can look at the world, not only the 9-11 attacks, but the world history, and we can agree with Bill Clinton and say, yes, that is true. In fact, we can even go so far as to say many people, even many Christians, who are very convinced they have the truth, tend to use um, to use that truth as a sort of a power trip to try and control other people and get people to do what they will, what they want. Uh, I mean, lots of famous and infamous philosophers like Foucault and uh, Nietzsche were saying exactly the same thing, you know, that, you know, if you claim that you have the truth, then it's, it's a power trip, you know, and you want to just contr- uh, exercise control and power over, uh, over other people. Um, and, and, and let's be honest, throughout church history, the church has done that. And many legitimate Christians, ironically, have been at the receiving end of the truth. I mean, you just think about the Spanish Inquisition and more than 50 million Christians being killed, many of them burnt at the stake because of this very thing. When people are convinced they have the truth, they often tend to exercise it as coercive power over people. That's true. The truth can be abused. That's a thing that I agree with, Bill Clinton, but there's something I disagree with. I disagree with his solution because he says the solution, therefore, is that we must say there is no truth. This whole concept of the truth, we must, you know, do away with it. We must discard the truth because if truth, if um, knowing the truth leads to um, exercising power and control over other people, then we must discard with the truth and say, there's no absolute truth. You know, what is true for you is not true for me. And, um, you know, everything's relative. And, and you know, the individual counts and, and the radical Western individualism of I can decide my own truth, which is really not new if you think about it. I mean, <laughs> it comes from the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve were eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were basically saying, we want to decide for ourselves what's right and wrong, what's true and false. We don't want to trust God for that. So it's, it's nothing new, really. So, so that is Bill Clinton's solution. Now, what I, want to show, what, what I want you to see is that, that Paul actually sees this problem of the abuse of truth. Notice in the first verse that, that we read in verse 14, it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, teaching, um, truth claim, doctrine. It doesn't even say false doctrine. It just says doctrine. Okay, Um, By human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Rather, and, and, and notice the contrast here. It says, being children, immature, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up, become mature. So, so notice the contrast that he's doing it. So what he's saying is you can actually use the truth in such a way that it keeps people dependent, that it keeps them children. 
that it makes them dependent on you, and you can therefore exercise power over them. So long before Bill Clinton saw that problem, long before Nietzsche saw that problem, Paul the Apostle saw that problem. You can actually abuse the truth in that way. But Paul's solution is very different from Bill Clinton's solution. So where Bill Clinton says, no, we must discard the truth, notice that Paul does not say that. He doesn't say, because you can use the truth to keep people dependent and exercise power over them and control them, therefore we must do away with the truth. No, his solution is we must truth in love. Not only speak the truth, and um, I, I, I mentioned that last time. Paul actually, in a very awkward and strange way, in, in Greek, like in English, truth is a noun. But Paul turns that noun truth into a verb. And, and it, it's, it's very uncommon. It's, 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 you know, this is one of the very few places where, where, where we actually find this. But he says, truthing in love. So, here's a, a few things I want you to notice. Paul's solution is different. He says, we must stick to the truth. But our, the problem is not the truth per se, but our relationship to the truth. If you have the wrong relationship to the truth, if you believe you have the truth, you control the truth, the truth belongs to you, you control the truth rather than the other way around, then you're going to use the truth to control others. But if there's a humility and a love that accompanies the truth in your life, then you're going to relate to people very differently. You're not going to try and impose the truth on them because you know you actually can't. You can invite them into the truth but you can't oppose the truth on them. And, but, but here's also what I want you to see. Another problem that, that Bill Clinton faces, and, and many, you know, he's, he's actually just very representative of most liberal people in the world, is this, that he says basically, um, and people like him would say, well, if you believe you have the truth, then you narrow, and, and you're actually a fundamentalist and in danger of becoming a terrorist. I mean... <laughs> That's basically, in short, what he's, what he's saying there. But notice what he's doing. He's making a truth claim, an absolute truth claim, that everyone that doesn't believe the same about the truth that he believes about the truth is narrow. So he's, he's proving his own point. <laughs> you know, It's um, the claim that there is no absolute truth. The claim that there is no universal moral truth that everyone must submit to is an absolute moral truth claim saying that you, all of you must agree with my view of the truth, otherwise you become a legitimate target. And I might not be, be a terrorist who flies a plane into a building to kill you, but I'm going to find ways of sanctioning you of silencing you of marginalizing you. If you don't believe in my truth, that there is no truth. Because it is a truth. So, so here's the point. The truth is inevitable. You can't actually get away from it. You can't actually escape the truth. It's inevitable. Even people like Bill Clinton, who want to downplay the truth, can only downplay the truth by replacing it with another truth. That there is no truth. So the truth is inevitable. You cannot get away from it. So the solution to abusing the truth to oppress people is not to discard the truth. There's, there's a, a, a saying I, I like very much, but I can't remember the, the guy's name. I think it might, you know, I, his surname is Christensen. And he said, referring to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the, 
the cure for abuse is not disuse, but proper use. And, and that truth applies not only to the gifts, the, the, the manifestations of the Spirit. Because many people do abuse the, the manifestation of the Spirit. And then some people say, oh, you see, it's being abused, therefore we must disuse it. We must you know, cast it out completely. Now, the Paul's cure in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, to, the Corinthians were abusing the gifts. And his cure was not, oh, you're abusing the gifts, therefore you must discard the gifts. His solution was, now I must use the gifts properly. The cure for abuse is not disuse, but proper use. And the same can be said for the truth. Yes, the truth is sometimes abused. But the cure for the abuse of the truth is not the disuse of the truth, but the proper use of the truth. Truthing in love. C.S. Lewis once explained it this way. He said, and, and see, he was quite ahead of his time. He, he lived, you know, I think he died in the 60s somewhere, in the mid-60s, 1960s. He, he was an amazing guy. Uh, just by the way, I, I, when I was younger, I had, you know, typical stereotypes. You know, I'm a charismatic, you know, so everyone who's not a charismatic knows nothing, you know, and I can't learn anything from them. And I know you guys are not like that. You're not that, those kinds of charismatics, but I was, you know. But um, I must say, you know, and I thought, oh, you know, this, this old stodgy British Anglican dude, you know, what's he going to teach me, you know? <laughs> and I must say, after I started reading, I was like, okay, thank you, Lord, for, you know, correcting me and um, showing me that, you know, this guy, he's actually brilliant, you know. Read me a Christianity. Do yourself a favor. One of my top five books of all time. Read me a Christianity. But Lewis says this. He says, and, and, and he, say, he spoke, he said this. Uh, he basically referred to post what we call postmodern deconstruction, because in postmodernism, there's a whole concept of, of there's there's no real truth, and you must deconstruct the truth. In other words, you must see through it. You must just have this hermeneutic of skepticism. You must be radically skeptical about everything and question everything and not believe anything. Okay, and 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 Lewis just does this brilliant critique of postmodern skepticism. And, and deconstruction. He says, you know, it's, it's all good and well seeing through things, deconstructing them, being skeptical about them and seeing through them. But the, the reason you want to see through something is to see something through it. The, the only reason the, the, the window is, is transparent is so you can see the garden on the other side. But what if the garden were also transparent? What if everything were transparent? Because that's how it is with people with people who are postmodern skeptics. Everything, they see through everything. Everything becomes deconstructed. Every, they're skeptical about everything. They don't believe anything. So they don't only see through the window, they see through the garden. And he says, seeing through everything is the same as being blind. Not being able to see anything. And so many people today are like that. In their rejection of the truth, of any truth, they, they say, oh, well, we, we, we're not gullible. We see through this. But the problem is you, you see through everything and eventually you don't see anything. You don't see at all. You become blind. And that's what Paul talks about, you know, the foolishness and the futility of their thinking. Um, when, you, when, you, when you discard the validity of all arguments, you've also refuted your own argument against arguments and you see through everything can you, can you see the problem the truth is inevitable we need the truth we cannot live without it um, 
But we also have a deeper problem, Paul says, than that. In, in fact, he takes it further than Nietzsche or Foucault or any Bill Clinton, any one of those, you know, modern guys. And he says, our problem is, and, and, and let me actually read it, because he says it so powerfully. He, he says, um, now I say, I, uh, now this I say in testifying to the Lord, it's over here in verse 17. That you must no longer walk uh, as the Gentiles do in the futility of, your, of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of uh, the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Notice what he says there. He's, he's not saying that their, their hearts are hard because they're ignorant. He's saying they, they are ignorant because their hearts are hard. In other words, there's a problem with the human heart. I don't know who of you saw that, that movie, uh, probably my favorite Jack Nicholson movie, uh, As Good As It Gets. And at one stage in the movie he says, you cannot handle the truth. <laughs> and, and that's what Paul is saying. Now, if, if Jack Nicholson and Paul agree on something, it must be true. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> but, but, he, but he's right. What Paul is saying is we cannot handle the truth. Our hearts are hard as humanity. Because of sin, our hearts have become hard. And we are ignorant because our hearts are hard. So, so it's, it's not the reason our understanding is darkened and we are alienated from the life of God is because of the ignorance that is in us. But the ignorance that is in us is because of the hardness of our hearts. There's a problem with us on the inside. We cannot handle the truth. We do not like the truth. We actually hate the truth. Nietzsche even says this. He says, he says it quite well. He says, um, my memory says, yes, I did it. My pride says, no, I couldn't have done it. And eventually my memory gives in <laughs> and says, okay, fine. I guess I didn't do it after all. <laughs> we deceive ourselves. You see, when Nietzsche says, my memory says, yes, I did it, that's truth trying to come in. And then pride stands up and says, no, 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 I couldn't have done that. Not that. That's not how I was raised. I couldn't have done that. <laughs> and then eventually your memory gives in and says, okay, fine, you know, I, I guess I, I, I'm wrong. I, I couldn't have done that. <laughs> we cannot handle the truth. Our hearts are hardened in our pride. Now, <clears throat> the problem, like I said, is not the truth per se. The problem is our relationship to the truth. Do we truth in love? And humility. Now, if we believe, like Paul says, that there is the truth, the truth as it is in Jesus, and yet we believe that we all started off with hardness of heart and ignorance, and that something had to, had to break our hard hearts, so that, as it were, that we had to experience the truth before we could receive the truth and believe the truth then we have no right to boast against other people who do not yet believe that truth. Because if you receive the truth by grace, not if you receive the truth despite the hardness of your own heart, despite the fact that you cannot handle the truth, then you have grace on those who also cannot handle the truth. And, and, and that's why Christianity is so radically different from every, any other ideology or religion in the world. Is because the truth that we received is not a truth that we accomplished or, or discovered even. 
It's a truth that came to save us. And Paul actually says it in this passage. Let me show you. He says, um, They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. And that verse 21 is also problematic for, just like, you know, the translators translate speaking the truth in love in verse 15, because the word, the phrase truthing in love is just too awkward. Uh, but, but you lose something in the translation if you, if you do it that way. There's something that is lost in the translation here as well. Um, Tim Keller points out that um, when it says, um, assuming that you have heard about him, about Jesus, there's no... Ab- word about in the Greek in in the Greek text what it literally says is this and this is amazing this is amazing it says assuming that you have heard him not heard about him it talks about that you have learned that you that you know and, and we all know that there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus Okay? And what Paul is saying is that the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus is the difference between hearing about Jesus and hearing Jesus. Now, now this is really astonishing. I, I went to check the Greek, so you can trust me. I, I, I know most of you won't, won't read Greek, but it, say, it literally says, um, uh, assuming that you have heard him, so the about is not there, heard him, Jesus. And it, this, is, this is the astounding thing. Think about this for a moment. This is the letter to the Ephesians. Ephesia, Ephesus was one of the main cities in Asia Minor, hundreds of kilometers away from Jerusalem and, and, and you know, Israel where, 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 where Jesus lived. And Jesus never left Israel. He never left Israel. He only ministered in Israel. He only lived in Israel. And he died there. And this was written about 20, at least 20 probably about 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection to people in Ephesus who never saw Jesus. And Paul says to them, you learned Jesus because we came and we ministered him to you, we instructed you, we we, we taught you. But while we were teaching you, something amazing happened. You didn't just hear us and you didn't just hear about him. You heard him. You heard Him. You heard Christ Himself. In other words, Christ Himself was speaking through the truth that we were truthing you with. That we were speaking to you. Christ Himself spoke to you and you heard Him in your heart. And that's the difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. Because you actually heard Him. And and here's the amazing thing. This morning, some of you might be hearing him because if we could if they could hear him in Ephesus 30 who never met him in their lives could hear Jesus in Ephesus 30 years after his death and resurrection while he was sitting at the right hand of the father then we can hear him 2000 years after his resurrection even though we hear in Joburg even further away from Jerusalem So, the solution 
is to hear Him. And, and so often, you know, as modern skeptical people, you know, I, I meet many people who, who, who say, you know, I'll believe if God just gives me an airtight argument. But notice what Paul says there. He talks about the truth as it is in Jesus. What if God didn't give us an airtight argument? What if God gave us an airtight person? Because that's what he gave. Notice he says, um, you have not so learned Christ. But then when he goes across, he says, the truth as it is in Jesus. And, and, and most commentators agree that when he switches over to Jesus, he's actually talking about the literal historical Jesus. He's talking about the gospel. The truth as it is in Jesus is the gospel. The truth of how Jesus, the, the good news of what Jesus did to save us. How, how he was born, incarnated, how he lived and ministered, how he died, how he was resurrected, and how he ascended into heaven. And what he is saying is that same Jesus speaks now, speaks to us. And that same Jesus, the truth is in Jesus. In other words, you don't need an airtight argument because you've got an airtight person. And he will speak to you today if you allow him to. He'll speak to you today if you allow him to. But that, let's take that further because in, in verse 16 he talks about Verse 15 and speaking, it's 16, it says, Truthing in love, that you, as you truth in love, as you truth one another in love, you grow up into him who is the head. And then he talks about the whole body working together that builds itself up in love, when, when each one does its part. And, and, and that's so important. Each one of us, if we are in Christ, we are part of Christ's body. In other words, Jesus has no way of physically touching people on earth except through us we're his hands and his feet we're his body he's the head he's up in heaven but he, we, we're his body and he uses us to touch people he uses us to speak to people and and here's the amazing thing what that says is that when we speak the truth and when we truth people when we speak the truth to people jesus speaks through us and they don't just hear us but they hear him that should not only give you confidence in the truth that you've heard, because in the truth that you've heard, you've heard Him. But it should be, give you confidence in the truth that you speak, because in the truth that you speak, they hear Him. Isn't that amazing? So it's not about you and your good arguments so much, as it is about Jesus speaking through you, so that they hear Him through you. And that changes hearts. But when you've... When you've received the truth in that way, in that love, because the truth as it is in Jesus is the truth that Jesus died for our sins. We are so sinful that he had to die for us. And yet so loved that he was glad to die for us. If you receive the truth as it is in Jesus, the gospel, and it's a truth that is so saturated in love, and you receive it with so much love, and to boot, you receive it with so much humility, because it's not about you having figured it out. It's about Jesus having spoken to you because you heard Him. He had to break through the hardness of your heart, soften your hard heart, and enable you to receive His truth. If you receive it with that love and with that humility, then you can no longer abuse the truth to oppress people. You can only speak the truth in love and humility to others. So in the hope that they too will hear Him and be changed and be transformed. Now imagine, 
imagine a whole community of people who have experienced that. That's us. That's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been truthed in love in such a way that it forces us to be humble and not use the truth, you know, as a sort of, you know, moral one-upmanship over people, but use the truth to love people and to humbly serve them. And, and that's what he says. So receiving the truth in this way creates a community that no longer is infants and dependent, but a community that grows up and becomes mature. A com- not a community that is oppressed, but a community that is empowered. Not a community that, that takes people captive through their truth, but a community that liberates people through His truth, the truth as it is in Jesus. That is the great vision that Paul holds up to us of the New Testament church. That is what we ought to be. That is what we are. And he holds up the church as the place where people can be truthed in love in such a way that it actually changes them and causes them to grow and become mature and become more like Jesus, the head. So, let's just quickly talk about the application of the truth. Notice how Paul says, um, let me just find it here. Therefore, here we go, verse 23, to put off, uh, you, were, you were taught that uh, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, put off your old self, uh, which belongs to your former manner of life uh, and is corrupt or being corrupted through deceitful desires and to, re- to be renewed in the spirit of your, mi- of your mind and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in other words, what, what Paul is saying here, he's saying quite a lot of stuff and I, I won't be able to get to everything. Um, but what, one of the things that he's saying is if you have heard him, if you have heard Jesus, then your heart has been so changed that, that you have fundamentally changed as a person. So it's like your old way of life, your old self, your old habits, those destructive habits, it's like they are just clothes on the outside that you need to take off, sort of strip them off, and that there's a new set of clothes which reflects who you really are that you need to put on. So, so the, the fundamental change on the inside has already happened, and you just need to make the, the, the um, cosmetic and, you know, sort of um, clothing wear outside changes that reflects the change that has already happened on the inside. Okay? Putting off the old self, putting on the new self. But notice how he says it. He says, being renewed in the spirit of your mind. In other words, we need to change the way we think. Firstly, we need to change the way we think about the truth because we understand that you can, you can abuse the truth, but, you, but the truth is also inevitable. You cannot avoid the truth. And therefore, we must truth in love and in humility based on the gospel, the truth as it is in Jesus. And that we cannot boast in the truth because we didn't accomplish it, but we received it through grace by Him speaking to us. 
And, and we must renew our minds and the way that we deal with the truth. Be very, very faithful to the truth and uncompromising about the truth on the one hand, but also very gentle and loving and humble with the truth. So we, we, we must not compromise on truth or on love and renew our minds in terms of the way that we... And, and, and let's face it. Let's be honest with ourselves. We like being right. <laughs> we like having the truth on our sides. We like using the truth to sort other people out. It's part of our human nature. But when we are renewed in the spirit of our minds, we actually start thinking differently. We start changing, putting on the new self, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, and we change in the way we treat one another because we realize how we have been treated with the truth. The truth has been lovingly massaged into our hard hearts to soften them. And notice it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So, I mean, that it's a very confusing sort of way in which it's phrased, but what it basically means is your mind needs to be renewed and you cannot do it without the spirit. That's it. You can try and change your mind, but if you try and change your mind without the truth, you will be able to change your mind, but you will only be able to change it from you know, one form of evil to another, from one form of futile thinking to another. As we saw, you know, the futile thinking of you know, abusing the truth to oppress people, then, oh, let's change, change that. That's wrong, clearly wrong. Let's change it. Oh, but then we change it to a, a, a different form of you know, using the truth to oppress people. So, it's only by the Spirit. Each one of us, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have someone with you. No, not with you. In you, right now. A coach, a life coach, a tutor who's with you 24-7, every day of the week. Who can take you by the hand, and as John 16 says, lead you into all truth. Lovingly lead you into all truth. And I'm running out of time, but uh, I just want to mention this, this, these last few verses. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of, us, uh, of you speak truth, speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Just in closing, three things that Paul says practically the truth and being renewed in the spirit of your mind and um, truthing in love as part of a community allows you to overcome. It allows you to overcome falsehood because you no longer need, in such a community you no longer need, and with such a Lord you no longer need to use falsehood to protect yourself. So you can discard with falsehood. You can overcome falsehood. If you will be loved, no matter what you do, then it's safe to admit what you have done. Then you don't have to say like Nietzsche, your, your memory says, oh yes, I did it. And then your pride says, no, 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 I didn't. Or your fear says, no, 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 no. don't let anyone know that you did it. <laughs> that fear and that pride is stripped away. And you can dispense with falsehood. You can... Uh, put off falsehood. And then also anger. The reality is the only way to deal with anger is to truth in love. 
He says, be angry, but do not sin. Notice there are two, two commands there. There's a positive command, be angry. The Bible actually commands us to be angry. Ooh, you know, big surprise. <laughs> God gets angry. Do you think God's sinning when he gets angry? No. The Bible commands it. The only way you cannot get angry is if you love no one. Who are the people who make you most angry? It's the people you love most, right? <laughs> it's the people you love most. You're supposed to get angry when someone you love turns away from the truth or gets into self-destructive behavior. You're supposed to get angry. You're supposed to hate the evil that's destroying them. You're supposed to get angry at the evil that's destroying them, that they're lying into themselves. If you don't, you don't love them. I mean, indifference is as much an opposite of love as hate is an opposite of love. Okay? Um, so, be angry, but then he says, but in your anger, do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. The only way you can be angry and not sin is if you're truth in love. And if you do, if you don't, if you, if you refuse to, to, to let the truth come out, and, I, and you can ask my wife, I struggle with this. <laughs> I struggle to communicate on, on, on that level. Um, but if you refuse, if you bottle up you know, the truth in your heart the whole time, eventually that bottle becomes full and it just bursts. It bubbles over in rage and anger. And there are so many of us, you know, we look so quiet, we look so gentle, we look so peaceful. All we're doing is we're bottling up, bottling up, bottling up. And we're not speaking the truth in love. And all that anger is just bottling up, bottling up, bottling up. And eventually, it's going to overflow. And you just explode. And you either take out that anger on yourself or on the people around you. And the only way to overcome that is to regularly truth in love. And then he says, so not only overcome falsehood and anger, but overcome the devil. Give no foothold for the devil. The only way we can do that is to regularly truth in love. Be accountable to one another. Speak the truth of what we're experiencing to one another and minister to one another. And that's what small group, for instance, is all about. It's a place where we're supposed to be able to truth in love to one another and love one another despite the truth that we share with one another. And speak the truth to one another in such a way that it actually changes us. It makes us more like Jesus. Amen? And if this scripture is true, then many, if not most of us, would have this morning not heard about Jesus, but heard Jesus speaking to us. And I just want you to search your heart and see, find for yourself where Jesus has spoken to you this morning. Where have you heard Jesus? And I want you to just make a note of that. We need to take seriously when Jesus speaks to us. It's a great privilege. Don't disregard it. Don't forget it. Don't harden your heart against it. That truth that Jesus spoke to you, I want to encourage you to go and share it with someone. Okay, I want to, someone you trust, of course. Go and share it with someone that you trust. Say, this is what Jesus spoke to me this morning. And when you do that, I want you to 
to trust Jesus that He will also speak through you to other people. That when you speak the truth, when you truth in love to other people, that they will actually hear Him, hear Jesus speaking to them. So I just want you to, in your own words now, just as your eyes are closed and you're focusing on the Lord, just thank the Lord that He spoke to you and ask the Lord to speak through you. Just those two things. Just in your own words. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.